great. Well, if I can encourage you to um, find your seats, grab hold of a Bible. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, that's. Um, I'm still I'm still being schooled in how it all works with the my mics and my. So I'm sorry if there's a if there's a sort of hum. It's um it's all down to to me. Apparently apparently when I speak I lean. I get excited. I lean and then I come in front of the speakers and then all sorts of terrible things happen. Um, if you've got a sight of a Bible in the room, uh, we're going to be for those of you online. We're going to be in the book of Ezekiel, but I'm, I've got one or two other references as well. And uh, also, again, if just in the room, we'll make this available online, but I've got a little uh, old school sheet of paper, A5 sheet of paper, and and I'll come to that in due course. And we will read from the book of Ezekiel. Um, I'm going to sort of squeeze that, or or rather make space for that, as I speak this evening um, later on. So we won't won't start with that. Um, Let's pray. Father, as we engage with your scripture, inspired word, as we engage with the prophet Ezekiel, as he spoke to uh, your people back there, back then, we pray by your spirit, take his message and speak to your people here now. Help us to make the connections. Help us to see our part in your great story that we join our story to your story and then take the story of you at work in our lives out to those who have not yet heard and do do not yet know. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, It's embarrassing, if I'm honest. Um, a little bit humiliating to me anyway Um, I I kind of I kind of surprised myself that it took me so long to realise I had no idea And, and, and it's been catching up with me in my life such that recently I've had to to completely but it feels like, anyway, completely reappraise how I, how I go about doing it. And, and it still feels quite unnatural. It, 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 it is still, for something that is so typical and everyday, it, it, it is still a kind of conscious thought. And I slip and I fall back into my old ways and it costs me. <laughs> I'm talking about walking. I, I know, I know, and listen, you have full permission to kind of laugh at me, I'm, I'm, that's fine. Um, I, I, I thought I'd mastered it about 55 years ago or so. I just uh, emerged from all fours on, onto these sort of two things that stuck out the bottom of my body and I thought, I'll, I'll do what everyone else does, toddle, wobble, fall over, but eventually walk. And, and from then on, off I went. I was just a walking machine, nailed it. And then running, and I threw in a bit of hopping and skipping and jumping, um, dancing, that was all right until I had children and then, and then apparently my dancing was forbidden. Um, but I, but oh, the staple was walking, walking, walking. And for years, decades, I walked with 
carefree abandon. Didn't, I didn't think about walking. I didn't think right foot, then left foot, then right foot. No, you just, I had other things on my mind, other places to go, other people to be with. I wasn't consciously thinking about something as basic but fundamental as walking. But, um, and if I can use theological terms on this analogy, judgment was brewing over the years and the decades. Because, you see, I, I, well, I've, I've got a sort of, a kind of unique walk, rather, I had a unique walk. It was a kind of Stillwell gait. Um, when I say walk, it was a kind of lollop. Um, it was to the medics and, and to the physios particularly out there, it, it was a lazy way of walking. I, I didn't walk engaging my core, so I'd, I'd walk heavily. And, and that meant I'd sort of, you know, so the, so the sort of Stillwell walk was, was sort of this. Um, it was pointed out to me from time to time at school, particularly. There was some one or two guys that sort of mimic my walk. And I, I kind of prided myself, and I quite like that. It, it kind of looked like the kind of walk that a jock would have, you know, kind of the sports guy, the kind of, yeah, yeah, like that. A, you know. So, I, you know, it appealed to my ego, and I you know, didn't do anything about it. But judgment was brewing. Occasionally, prophets would emerge in my life. People who would say, and actually the principal prophet in my life, wonderfully, is my wife, um, who, who's a trained physiotherapist. So uh, is trained in how the body is designed to work well and what it looks like when it doesn't work well. And from time to time, there'd be a prophetic utterance in my life. <laughs> Mrs. Stilwell would, would say, well, you don't walk with your core. I have no idea what that means. You don't walk with your core. I'm sort of thinking, what? An, an apple, half-eaten. What, what, what is that, to walk with your core? I didn't bother to inquire. My complacency, my apathy, my arrogance, I thought, I'm happy with my lollop. Other prophetic um, enactments, if you like, which just were to, there to warn me of the impending judgments that was growing and growing. My son, um, Luke, and... Um, I, we were sitting downstairs in, in the vicarage just next door and, and then suddenly you'd, you'd hear a boof, 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 boof. I said, what on earth is that? Sort of bits of ceiling falling down and uh, Joe said well that's Luke walking along the corridor Look, listen to him, so heavy footed he said yeah, Joe said yeah he walks just like you and I look at, I watch it and I say yeah, go look at the way Luke walks and other people because I can't see myself walk it's my little blind spot but other people say, oh yeah, he's a spitting image. He walks just like you. I said, I walk like that? <laughs> Prophetic voices. Kind of warning me if I had ears to hear that, that judgment is brewing. And then, ping. I was on a run. Uh, fortunately, I was about just 100 metres from the end of my run when left knee, like a flare of heat, uh, followed by swelling, long story short, I'm on a little cart being wheeled into the th operating theatre and um, amazing little arthroscopy, um, uh, um, um, what's it called? Um, oh, oh, I've just lost the word for what I want to say. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, thing, anyway, a thingy. They, they took out, anyway, they, um, operation, operation, I knew it was there. <laughs> 
little arthroscopy operation and uh, they took out quite a bit of cartilage. Oh, sorry, let me use theological terminology. My cartilage was exiled. <laughs> taken away. Removed to a far off place. Uh, about 18 months later, I was in the sea. Uh, it just, you know, kind of, you know when you're in the sea and the, the rollers are coming in. So I pushed to, to, against the roller, ping. And even in the cold of the sea, fiery flame in my other knee. I knew exactly what that was. Long story short, on the trolley, back in for another operation. <laughs> Arthroscopy, cartilage out of that one. Oh, sorry, cartilage exiled. And, and, and from then on, pain in my knees when I walk. The basic function of walking. But because the cartilage, the, the, the cushion between your joints has largely been removed, almost completely removed from this one. Um, it, it's, it's, if I just pop down to Waitrose, I can feel it in my knees. A longer walk is painful. Don't, I'm not, this isn't fishing for sympathy. It's only percussive stuff. So if I cycle, I went on the bike ride last year. Cycling, swimming, all sorts of other things. Um, sadly, housework. Yeah. <laughs> and so I start to pay attention to the prophetic voices. The Stillwell lollop causes pain because I, I walk heavily on my joints. That's cost me the, the, the cartilage, among other things. I know there are medics in the room and so on. It, is, it wasn't only my walking gait. It's kind of familial degenerative stuff in my, in my joints. But, but I haven't helped myself by, by not paying attention to the walk. You, so just as a little, I mean, if, if you're not getting nothing theologically out of this sermon tonight, let me help you with your walking. You just imagine that you've got a cord attached to the top of your head and someone's, someone's holding it taut like that. So you're not on your tiptoe, but you just you stand really tall and then don't, don't sit on your pelvis or this is a prophetic. See, I have learned. So you kind of core like that and you walk. You just walk with your core. When I do that, I can't believe. I was cynical. How can that? How can my core make any difference to my knees? I tell you, it does. When I walk with my core, it's far less painful to pop down to the shops. So, so the basic fundamental need for a human being is to get from A to B. The ability to walk. I'm relearning. After years of abuse frankly, through my own ignorance or apathy, ignoring the judgment calls, the, the, the prophetic warnings, until eventually genuine judgment, exile of cartilage, and now I have to walk differently. This sounds like a story of desperation, but actually I discover as you walk with your core, there is a new way to walk. I have a new freedom. I can, I can walk out of pain. And this analogy I recognise is, is incomplete. There are some people who, who would love to be able to affect um, change in their body, would love to be able to affect um, a, a release of pain and so on. I'm not completely free from that. I'm just, I'm just saying it works enough. Israel. God's people. Walking with the Lord, and yet they were kind of walking heavily, they were walking poorly, they were walking away from God's presence, and yet they, they didn't realize it. You listen to the songs they were singing Psalm 46 God is with us, we, we, are, we are secure, how can we fall? Psalm 48 Jerusalem, Zion, the city of God where the Most High dwells. 
Israel complacent over centuries. God who'd, who'd, if you like, taught them to walk and shown them how to walk and where to walk and said, hey, keep tuned in to me. They tuned out from God. They tuned into the false hope of those siren idols. Other ways to live, other gods to please. And they walked badly. And yet they assumed God is with us. How can we fail? All is well. And then Israel. Ping. It's Assyria. In the 8th century. 722. They invade and and cart off the northern elements of Israel. of, Of God's people. And in... 579, start of the 6th century, as Assyria's power wanes and Babylon is on the increase. Nebuchadnezzar, if you were here two years ago, we looked at Daniel and encountered Nebuchadnezzar then. He's the the, the king, he is the political power and in 597 he uh, invades or attacks uh, Jerusalem, carries off about 10,000 of God's people and one of those people that he carries off actually this is Daniel and his guys are in the first deportation and so is Ezekiel in 597 10,000 carried off into Babylon Uh, about a decade later 588 uh, Nebuchadnezzar lays siege to the whole city and in 586 he burns the temple uh, smashes down the walls just basically torches the city Uh, and we oh you know how quaint but for Ezekiel and the people of God who had come to love and live in and breathe and, and just inhabit the whole of the city of Jerusalem and what it meant to them. It was as devastating to them as, as, as Ukraine scenes are to us today. Oh, as we, how, can, how can anyone with a sane mind orchestrate such destruction on such wide scale? How can that happen? What world is this that we're living in? We say to ourselves today, and and the people of Israel were saying exactly the same things to themselves then, and actually to God. How can this happen? Psalm one three seven, verse one: By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and we wept when we remembered. Zion. Zion is the kind of nickname for, for Jerusalem and the mount on which the temple is built. When we remembered everything that was good and safe and secure, when we thought everything was going well, how can this have happened? I thought I knew how to walk. I just, just didn't, didn't think about walking. I'll get on with other things of life. Then ping, ping, pain. How can that have happened? Such that I now have to learn, consciously think to walk differently. Israel in Ezekiel's time, are in this moment of crisis, pain, exile. And Ezekiel comes to to point out how it is that they've got to this place and how they're going to need to learn to walk differently. It's it's, it's remarkable. I often reflect on the fact that the, the Bible, when we think, oh, it's, you know, it's miles away and centuries ago but, but the political upheaval going on in Ezekiel's day is, is every bit mirrored 
in the political upheavals, the power shifts uh, that take place today. Trying to work out where power resides. I was watching a sort of, uh, actually it was on BBC iPlayer, a thing on um, Paul Gascoigne, who was a kind of an England international footballer in the uh, 90s, was he was in his prime. But just how the, the, the documentary was on how his life has, you know, spiralled down, bless him, due in no small part to the, the machinations and, and the kind of publication wars of the two media giants at the time, Murdoch and Maxwell. They, were, they just used him as fodder for selling papers. I, I, I was, this is 30 years ago, the, the power of the media then. How, where, where, where? Where is power brokered today? God, where are you in the, the media battles, the political battles, the economic challenges that we face post-Brexit as a nation here, as post-pandemic uh, inflation and, and the way in which you know, the political machinations of this war are impacting our economy, uh, cost of living. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of testing time, put it mildly. It's disorientating. Which way is up? So as for Ezekiel then, with the Babylonians, exile, everything that was familiar to them ripped away. They've got to learn how to re-walk. And it may be that you're sitting here this evening, some of you watching online, at, and you, yeah, I, that, if I'm honest, that's where I feel I'm at. I, I, I thought I knew how to do life. I thought I knew how to walk. And yet now it is strangely painful. I feel like somehow I need to relearn how to walk. Something as basic, as fundamental as walking, I've got to relearn how to do life. And I hope over the next few weeks, we maybe haven't given quite enough time <laughs> to dig into the prophet Ezekiel. But as we, as we dig in, I'd encourage you, maybe just in the month of May, see, see if you can get yourself through the book of Ezekiel. This, this sheet here... It, an attempt to help you just on the background just a little bit about Ezekiel and uh, how the, the kind of book largely breaks down uh, just over the other side structure um, as with Jeremiah and to an extent Isaiah the, the so-called major prophets there's a kind of pattern there are what are known as oracles frankly they're rants um, the prophet just rants at Israel so look you had it coming you had it coming you, you wanted to lollop all the way through the centuries when there were people saying actually if you walked with your core and in fact if you do if only you do come back to walking properly it won't be painful it won't be but oh ping cartilage removed <laughs> exile well you had it coming and then halfway through, chapter 33 is a bit of a pivot chapter in the whole book. There are 48 chapters in the book. Um, that's when Ezekiel actually hears that Jerusalem has fallen. So you could remember he was in the first deportation. So the first um, bit of the Bible is a sort of seven or eight years or so before Jerusalem actually falls. Then he hears Jerusalem has fallen. And at that same time, God says, Ezekiel, I want to appoint you as a watchman for the people. So here you are, uh, trained as a priest, um, so he's using kind of temple language and, and religious idiom to help these homesick exiles feel a sense of familiarity. He's using kind of worship language, even though they're in a foreign, foreign land. And uh, as a watchman, he, he's appointed to, to speak hope, the seeds of hope, into 
Israel, first of all, 34 to 37, and through Israel, because remember, Israel are called to be a light to the nations, to the rest of the nations, and indeed hope for the whole of creation. Um, there's a symmetry to the, the book as you, as you read it. So there's, the, the temple is desecrated, the temple is restored, God's glory departs, God's glory returns. And, and the substance, it's just that as you, if you try and get a handle on, hang on, where am I at here? Um, he has various sort of visions. Um, he's, um, he's quite earthy and really acts out a number of these uh, prophecies that he has. And there are five um, parables, quite, they, they're tough. I'll, we're going to read one. I'll reference another. Because um, there's, yeah, there's some, there's some punchy stuff. And I, we can't. We can't go on to the, the kind of hopeful stuff before we've engaged with, as it were, the doom and gloom of Ezekiel. <laughs> um, just before we get to the... Oh, actually, sorry, let me just point out, that's right, at the bottom, that the signature tune. It's just to say that, that first line there, they will be my people and I will be their God, that re- repeats on a number of occasions and that is classic covenant language. In other words, that's God saying, I have not forgotten who I am in relation to you, and I haven't forgotten who you are in relation to me. I am your God, and you are my people. That's deeply reassuring. Is that they're in, they've lost everything. Are they wondering whether God even exists? Maybe the whole thing was a dream. It's just a mirage. And time and again through the prophets, God reminds them, no, no, I haven't forgotten my covenant. The, the way in which... Uh, God and, and God and human beings hold on to each other. God's initiation, and he never lets go, even though we chase after idols. And I will be your God, and, and you, if only you will turn, you will be my people. Solid. Covenantal language. And then over 65 times, this phrase, then they will know that I am the Lord. Then they will know that I am the Lord. This is God as sovereign. God through acts of history. God through kind of ungainly walking and pain leading to operation. Exile. This is God saying in and through all this with the seeds of hope that will seed and and, and flourish. People will know that I am the sovereign Lord of all the earth. Question. Just to tuck away here now. Why does, in one of the first visions that Ezekiel has, chapters 1 to 3, where he pictures the the, the temple and God's throne, why does the throne have wheels? Ezekiel makes quite a thing of describing the wheels on the throne. Why does God's throne, like his permanent seat, have wheels. I don't know, but we'll come back. Let's see if I've got a theory. I'll try it out on you. Hey, here we go. Let's read. Strap in. This is this is hardcore. Chapter fifteen, seven nine seven in the Green Bibles. Uh, the analogy or the parable of um, Israel as um, a vine. Just, I mean, a little bit of background. You, you maybe know vines are 
so commonplace in the Middle East. They grow everywhere. They'll grow easily and everywhere. And their wood is just purely perfunctory. It's just the, the vine grows simply to bear fruit. There's nothing about the wood of the vine itself. So you wouldn't keep I mean, oak and mahogany and teak. Oh, yeah, splendid. But you wouldn't use vine wood. Uh, the only thing you'd use it for is firewood. It, once it's served its purpose to bear fruit, then it's useless. The word of the Lord, verse 1 of chapter 15, came to me. Son of man, how is the wood of a vine different from that of a branch from any of the trees in the forest? Is wood ever taken from it to make anything useful? Rhetorical question, no. Do they make pegs from it to hang things up? I mean, pegs. <laughs> if you're a bit of wood and you aspire to, oh yeah, I'd like to be made into something. A peg. And they don't even make pegs out of vine. After it's thrown on the fire as fuel and the fire burns both ends and chars the middle, is it then useful for anything? Answer, no. If it was not useful for anything when it was whole, how much less can it be made into something useful when the fire has burned it and it's charred? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. As I've given the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest as fuel for the fire, so will I treat the people living in Jerusalem. I will set my face against them. Although they've come out of the fire, the fire will yet consume them. And when I set my face against them, you will know that I am the Lord. There it is. <laughs> I'll make the land desolate because they've been unfaithful, declares the sovereign Lord. <sighs> I was kind of underplaying it a little bit with, you know, Mrs. Stilwell's prophetic voice because she was kind to me in my inability to walk properly. God's packing a punch. But I guess, how, how, do, we, how do we hear these prophecies? I, I guess the modern idiom, modern idiom would be, if the cap fits, wear it. Which is to say, and I'm a little sort of, I suppose, my, my sort of caveat on reading some of these things and tackling, tackling a book like Ezekiel is I don't exactly know who, who my audience is I don't know you know where you are in terms of your relationship with the Lord and it could well be that some of you in the room or some of you watching online you're, you're here genuinely exploring I've, I've, I've sort of heard a bit I know someone who goes to church I want to find out a bit more I don't really know much well, well I would say you are maybe like some of the neighboring nations God hasn't revealed himself uniquely to them in the way that he has to Israel so if that's you don't receive judgment that comes on Israel you stand by and go whoa they're, they're in trouble I'm glad I'm not one of them <laughs> and we take in wow if that's how God acts with those that he loves but who wander from him then I, I want to find out how I can please this God and walk with him and serve him and live well so don't wear a cap that doesn't belong to you but if you do count yourself as one of God's people, if you've, as we say, been a Christian for some time and you know that you have, then, then don't, don't skirt around the judge of all the earth who loves you and loves me, but is determined that you walk well and don't experience pain. Chapter 16, verses uh, this is a little, another little parable. On the day you were born, he talks of this wonderful image of, of Israel as a beautiful, well, a baby and then a beautiful girl. 
Uh, I'll just read sections of chapter 16, verse 4. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out in the open field. For the day you were born, you were despised. And then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew and developed and entered puberty. Your breasts had formed and your hair had grown, yet you were stark naked. Look at verse 9. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewellery. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head so that you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was honey, olive oil and the finest flower you became very beautiful and rose to be a queen and your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect declares the sovereign lord but ah, you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute you lavished your favors on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his And so he goes on, verse 20, And you took some of your sons and daughters whom you bore to me and sacrificed them as food to the idols. Was your prostitution not enough? You slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to the idols. In all your detestable practices, your prostitution did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, kicking about in your blood. God's saying through the prophet, Have you... Have you forgotten how good I was to you and you wander away and abuse my name, drag it in the dirt? No wonder you had this coming. God is saying to his own people, these these rants, these oracles to Israel, I am not disposable. You cannot just sideline me. You cannot push me to the margins. You cannot just tack me on to a convenient hour here or there of your life and then carry on serving what are our contemporary idols? Convenience, comforts. How do we, how do we soothe the aches and the pains? What do we look to to build us up other than God? And they will, they will bring us to ruin, to, to despair. They, they don't ultimately satisfy. They promise that they will. This item of clothing, this wonderful holiday, if you just had another room in your house or if you just had a promotion or a little bit more money in your bank account, this, this, this. Promise, promise. And always disappoints. If we don't first and foremost look to walk with the Lord and walk as he teaches us to walk, Judgment, it, it, it sounds really stark and horrific when we, we read it from biblical judgment. But if we actually unpack it, 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 it's there. Just my putting off learning to walk properly until judgment in each of my knees. But there's hope. There is hope. Let me read, um, just flick over to chapter 34. Marking pretty much the end of the 
oracles to Israel. In fact, he, he kind of finishes with a sort of final flourish. And, and this, this may be familiar to you out of, out of, out of all the things that Ezekiel says um, because Jesus picks up on it. Um, he has a word against the leaders and, and spiritual leaders, moral leaders, if you like, of the nation of Israel. The word of the Lord, chapter 34, verse 1, came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? And so, verse 6, my sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. God railing through the prophet Ezekiel to, to the leaders who just look after themselves and don't look out for others around them. But, but here's the hope. Here's the hope. Even in that chapter, even against that sort of oracle of judgment, verse 22 of chapter 34. And, and, and this is where, as I say, the, the book is beginning to pivot from, from doom and gloom and judgment, the, the turning point into, but there is hope. Ezekiel is about restoring hope. Verse 22 of chapter 34. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. Um, and just, just a pause there. Well, hang on. We, we, we know historically David a few centuries earlier. We've, we've had David. So he says, my servant David. Or oh, maybe, maybe, maybe this is just sort of shorthand for someone in David's line. Ah, I will place over them my one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Covenant language, sovereign God language. There is hope, even amid despair. Just final reference. And, and this is, I'm just coming in now to that question. Why does the... Why does the throne of God have wheels? John chapter 10, page 1016. Part of the, the I am sayings of Jesus. Chapter 10 and verse 11 of John's gospel. He picks up on that image, that uh, metaphor of the uh, shepherd and the flock. And, and picks up particularly on that, that seed of hope that God plants through the prophet Ezekiel. I will shepherd my people. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In rank contrast to the people in Ezekiel's day. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Why does a throne have wheels? Well... I mean, it's all figuratively. It's pictorial language. This is Ezekiel's vision. It's, it's not, not sort of reality. It's a vision. But Ezekiel had the vision of the, of the throne of God within the kind of presence in the temple of God in Babylon. But we, we know that the 
temple of God and the throne of God is in Zion, in Jerusalem. How come, how come, we, and that, you know, it's, it's kind of permanent. That's what you, pilgrims come to Jerusalem. You, you pilgrimage to Jerusalem to encounter God afresh. But in exile, in Babylon, God comes to them. This is the God and judge of all the earth bringing hope. The, 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 the watchword, the theme of these prophets is judgment and hope. And amid the judgment, right in the middle of exile, God comes to them through Ezekiel. And God speaks to them through Ezekiel. The throne is not permanent in Jerusalem, it has wheels. And ultimately, the throne representing the presence of God himself comes to us in Jesus. I, I, I can't wait, we'll, we'll, in successive weeks here, we'll unpack how Jesus, in a sense, you know, becomes, he demonstrates how he is. He stands in the middle of the bricks and mortar temple and basically says, I am the new temple. I am the new presence of God. And if you come to me, not the building and the rituals and all the ceremony, but if you come to me, you will know life. Ezekiel points to this life in terms of a river. Jesus talks of streams of water coming from within. It's making the prophecy of Ezekiel even more real in Jesus. These shepherds that have scattered the flock or caused the flock to be scattered and lost, they are gathered by the God who comes to us in Jesus. Hope. But when we think God has departed, when we think God is absent, when we're living our lives now trying to make sense of which way is up and how do I live and I just need patterns or habits or just the ability to, to know that God is real so that I can be a, a kind of, what Mark says calls a non-anxious presence in our world. So attractive. I could begin to tell the story of God as it, as it works its way out in my life so that my life is joined to his story and I invite you to bring your story into his great story as I take the presence of God out into a desperate and needy world. I can do so confident because God comes to us in Jesus. Yes, there's judgment. And rightly so on the house of God, on the people of Israel. But there is also tremendous hope. Seeds sown in Ezekiel, realized in Jesus, that we can appropriate today. Amen.